Hi, Lauren. Hi, Sam. Are you ready to talk about Citizen Kane and Mank? I am, because after all, we are the watchers of movies. My apartment complex is having a party today, and uh, so the courtyard is right outside my apartment, and they're blasting music, so if you can hear music, which I think we've determined you can't, but if it ever picks up on the episode, that's what it's from, but something funny happened. So it's like it's like a family party. It's like a barbecue, and they have like a bounce house, and they advertise all these games like cornhole and tug of war and stuff like that. And they're blasting music, and it was like a '90s playlist, yeah, just like innocent, innocent '90s music. And then the song "Closer" by Nine Inch Nails started playing, and I started <laughs> laughing. And I thought they're gonna change it any second now. And so what I was hearing was kids laughing and the intro to the song "Closer." And I took a video and sent it to Mike. You can barely hear it, but. I mean, I bet they got like a minute of the song before somebody finally changed it. And it was really funny, but it was, it made me laugh out loud because I was like, okay, I don't know if this is like a curated playlist, like somebody hooked up their iPod or their personal Spotify, or if it's just like Spotify created a 90s playlist, but it was a juxtaposition that I haven't heard in a long, you know, ever. (laughs) It's funny because I have a good segue into that. So I have had the song Invisible by Clay Aiken stuck in my head for like the past couple of days. That is and a that, good segue. <laughs> and that song is like the like stalker's anthem. <laughs> I'm like, he just, he just has to watch you while you're sleeping. I, like, I listened to it today. And he's like, if I was invisible, I would just watch you in your room. And he's like, and then another lyric is like, if I was invincible, I'd make you mine tonight. And then, like, if there was something like, if bonds were unbreakable, and then, like, I don't know. It's like, I'm assuming it was a songwriter, not Clay Aiken, that wrote it um, because it was for, like, you know, American Idol. Yeah. And but, I think um, that if he was a songwriter, he'd probably be more successful today, maybe. Or I guess if that's the quality of song well, he wrote, I, I think not. he is successful. I just don't think he's in music anymore. I think he's like, that's he what I meant. Music, like, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like, I mean, I don't think he's a failure, but I just mean like he'd he'd be putting out records, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then like the end of the chorus is like, is like if I was invincible or invisible, like you'd whatever, like no, like notice me or I don't know something like that. And he goes, wait, I already am. And I was like, is this supposed to make me feel bad for this person who's like this psychotic stalker? <laughs> well, it's a st- it's a stupid like. It doesn't make sense. These are the lyrics. It's, if I was invisible, then I could just watch you in your room. If I was invisible, I'd make you mine tonight. If hearts were unbreakable, then I could just tell you where I stand. I would be the smartest man. If I was invisible, wait, I already am. So that's when he realizes that he can go about watching her in her room and making her mine. And so it's actually like, it's like a power song. Like he's realizing that he can do all these things now because he's invisible. Yeah, it's super creepy. It's a power anthem. I'm, I'm turning the tide. Creep. I'm turning the tide on this song. It's a this power is, anthem. It's a super creep power anthem. <laughs> so, so, yeah, 
Like first he's like lamenting, like I can't do any of these things, but then he realizes that he can start doing them because he is invisible. So it's like, don't keep telling yourself you can't do things because you can, you know? Sure, dude, totally. <laughs> it's a terrible song. It's a terrible song. It's like that song Say You Won't Let Go by James Arthur. And we've, I've, oh, yeah, we've talked about that song. That song's stupid. It's a terrible. <laughs> I've talked about this song so many times because. I hate it with every ounce of my soul. <laughs> like, it is like, first of all, she throws up and he's like, oh, <laughs> vomit. <laughs> I really want to make out with you right now. And I'm like, Ugh! oh my God. And the like, rest of the song is all about how, you know, they're going to like live this life together and all this stuff. And I was like, so you hung out with her one time, she threw up, and now you're planning your life together okay <laughs> like, okay it's romantic oh yeah no. no i would definitely call that romantic for sure i'll no, pair with um every breath you take by the police <laughs> <laughs> that's the clay Aiken. that's where clay Aiken got his uh inspiration i guess his inspiration. I don't yeah know. totally oh man oh um, i have to tell you that i had the craziest two days oh yeah yeah tell me so I got a new job this week with the same company that I've been working for, but just like a new position. And so I'm in training, which comes with its own inherent like stress and like growing pains and everything. So every day when work is done, I'm just like, all right, I got to relax. I can't like, I just got to decompress, you know, cause my head is full of new things. And um, I think it's going to be a good job. Like I'm excited about it. It's just, you know, training is like a lot to take in. Oh yeah, and for sure. So I waited to watch the movies uh, because Monday was like my first day of the new job. And I was like, I'm not, I don't want to watch the movie tonight. And then the rest of the week, I just, it didn't work. And I was like so excited. So I was, I pushed it to Friday and I was like, I'm getting out of work at five. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to get some, I'm going to get some dinner somehow and I'm going to watch Citizen Kane. Then I'm going to watch SmackDown. Then I'm going to watch Mank. Wow. And it was perfect. Like, it was going to work because timing-wise, it was, it was going to fit just right, you know? And, and then I thought, well, I get an hour for lunch, so maybe I'll just start Citizen Kane at lunchtime. And I couldn't get my Roku box to connect to the internet at lunch. And I was like, well, I don't want to mess with my router right now because I have to train and I'm working from home and that's the last thing I need. So I was like, I just won't worry about it till after, after work. <laughs> so then work ended and we got out early. She let us leave, like she let us quit training early. So I was like, woohoo, more time. And I looked out and I thought, oh, the pool is empty. Maybe I'll swim laps instead of walk. That will be fun. Yeah. But I couldn't find my goggles, my swimming goggles, anywhere. I couldn't find them. And I was, like, tearing apart this drawer. I, I couldn't find them anywhere. And so I was stressed for a second. But I was like, you know what? No sweat. I'll just take a walk. That's what I was planning on doing. So I decided, I was like, you know what? Before I take my walk, I should get this router situation, this Roku situation figured out so that when I come back, it's, like, ready to go. Like, it's up and running. And that turned into fia a fiasco because I could not, like, the Roku box would tease me and it would see my internet and it would say excellent signal, 
but it would not connect. Like it would, and everything else in my apartment, my phone, my computer, my PS3, everything was connecting to the internet just fine. Like nothing, the internet was fine. So I restarted my router. I unplugged everything. I, uh, I did everything, every single thing I could think of. I like turned it on and off again. I did all that multiple times. And then finally I was like, and I talked to you because you have a Roku and I thought, okay, I'm going to do the factory restart. I'm going to do it. And I did the factory restart and it still won't connect to the internet. So I was like at my wits end and I was so angry and I was so frustrated because I was like, I had this perfect plan for a relaxing evening, a movie marathon, you know, it was going to be good. And then I, so I left the apartment for a little while. I went to Target, did some exercising then I came back and I felt calmer and I tried it one more time and it didn't work. <laughs> so I was like laughing about it at that point. And then I was like, whatever, I can just watch. So I watched Citizen Kane on my computer. Yeah. And then I started Mank and I fell asleep 15 minutes into Mank. So I was like, I have to watch Mank in the morning. So then... Yeah, this when you morning, were like, I'm, I'm going to watch both movies, I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, best of luck. Yeah. But then you were, then I, I mean, I didn't realize that you were watching SmackDown too. So I was surprised that, I mean, yeah. Like, well, SmackDown is like, would be like a mental mind break because I don't pay like total attention to it. I kind of like text my goof around on my phone, puts around my apartment. You know, I just like, it's on and I enjoy it, but it's not like, like I can give my mind a rest and I can kind of like relax, you know? Right. And anyway, but it was too late. To I mean, I couldn't watch it anyway because I do everything on my Roku except Netflix. I do that on PS3. So this morning I woke up and I watched Mank and I was just like, what a whirlwind anyway. So I got them both in, but I have no idea. Like in Roku, I swear Roku had a chat feature on their website yesterday, but I was just like, I, I wanted to like get my walk in and everything. I didn't want to deal with it. So I'm like, I'll deal with it later. And I cannot find the chat function. So either they're, either I imagined it or they're not open on the weekends, but there's no support chat. That they're not open on the weekends. Anyway, it was, it was madness. It was the, the things we do for our art, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that is not untrue. We do a lot of, <laughs> we do a lot of things. I can't even imagine, I can barely watch, like, well, I pretty much can't sit down through an entire movie at this point in my life. Um, I have to pause it and get up and do stuff and then, like, come back to it. Because to me, it's like, I just, I don't have a, I don't have a strong attention span. So I'm, like, there's no possible way that I could have watched two movies in one night I would have been dying towards the end I would have been like when is this gonna end <laughs> well I was I was pretty sure that I wouldn't get through all of Mank because I was like I'd be starting it if the evening went as planned I would have been starting it at 10 o'clock right and I probably would have started falling like getting sleepy and so I was like well then I'll have time to just finish it in the morning but as it stood I started at like 11 30 <laughs> Right, so right. It was doomed to begin with. And and then this morning I was like, well, I'll just rewind it. I fell asleep within the first 15 minutes and then I woke up and like paused it. And then I this morning I was like, I'm just going to rewind it on Netflix until I recognize where I ended. 
and and then Netflix sort of like freaked out so I just thought I'll just start it from the beginning and then I realized like three minutes in I was must have already started dozing because there was stuff like at the very beginning that I didn't remember so (laughs) oh that's funny (laughs) that's good yeah so anyway it all worked out here we are and we do have a mini topic yes I'm glad it worked out I know I know how frustrated you were because we were talking on the phone and I was trying to help help you figure it out with the Roku, but I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, you know? It's just, it's stressful to have to deal with stuff like this that I, like usually restarting and stuff like that just fixes all the problems, but I don't know what to do when Roku's like, I can see it, but I won't connect. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know I don't, what to do. Well, like, and what are you supposed to do? Like, that's, it sounds, it doesn't sound like a you problem. It sounds like a Roku problem. And if you know? Roku is listening, I think I might get a fire stick instead. <laughs> you so you lost my business. Unless I can get a hold of support and they tell me some magical fix that works. Like, I'm probably going to get a fire stick. So buy Roku. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. Yeah. Um, I use, I have a Roku. Uh, my, so my, I have two TVs in my tiny apartment. And one is like from when I was like 18. So it's like, it's a box TV. It's like 13 inch box TV. The thing is old as hell. Do you love I CRT? Love- <laughs> Do you heart, I heart CRT? Do you have that apron? No, I don't even yeah. know what that is. What is that? <laughs> That's a, a box TV is like a CRT TV. I think that's oh. the name of like the tube that is in the back of it or whatever, a CRT tube or something. Like oh, that. okay. Yeah. See, I, I don't know. Um, and I have that one and that one I use a Roku on because it doesn't have like a HDMI port. But then the other one I have, I, it just connects to the internet automatically, like the other TV. Oh, so a smart TV. Do, yeah. So I don't need, um, like, I don't need... I had a uh, Chromecast, but I don't use it because I don't need it, you know? So, you know, it's actually a lot easier to not use a Chromecast because a Chromecast fucks up all the time. So I wouldn't, like, I'm sure it's gotten better because I have an old one. I have one from like years ago, but I I was like, yeah, I'll just use my TV. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you can, why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, anyway... So our mini topic, 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 um, is about movies that are based on real events, right? Or TV shows, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go first or should I go first? Uh, you can go first. Okay. So my first one is about Lost Girls, called Lost Girls, and it was about these women in um new york that were like these like women that were sex workers that were being killed by what they thought was the long island's like serial killer and um and so these women would go missing and they're like you know sex workers and stuff like that and of course the police force is like well we really don't care because like you know they're sex workers so yeah that seems to be like a tale as old as time much like beauty and the beast missing prostitutes really doesn't concern anybody which is really sad yeah it's like missing sex workers and indigenous women are like the lowest of the totem pole and it's the saddest fucking thing in the world and it makes yeah. me like really mad it's um, terrible it's like so <laughs> it was okay um it was with gabriel byrne and i i love gabriel byrne so i was like okay i'll watch it but it really felt like there was a lot like it didn't like there was no real showing about how like who the victim was as a person so 
just as just as a a movie like obviously this real person like deserves to be empathized with but just as a movie character i was like i don't really care what happens to this character because you've never given me any reason to emotionally care about her you know so like like i think it would have been a great mini series if someone better written had gotten into it <laughs> you know like if someone who was a better writer could have gotten a hold of it but yeah. i just remember like ending the the like movie and being like okay <laughs> like i wasn't like affected by it really i was just like cool glad i wasted two hours watching that shit you know so it's especially a true story like you you need really a delicate hand to tell a story about someone who was potentially killed by a serial killer you yeah. know and i've never heard of that movie but it has um amy ryan in it and she's a great a great actress I'm looking yeah. it up right now. Is she the mom or whatever? She's blonde? Yes. Yep. Yeah, she yeah. was in the movie. Did you ever see Gone, Baby Gone? No. She did a really good job in that movie. And she was also in The Office. But um, it was really fun to see her. Like, I saw her first in The Office, but then I saw her in Gone, Baby Gone. And it was fun to see how dynamic she is because they were very opposite characters. So yeah. I appreciate no, she was a she was awesome in that role. She was like this powerful mama you know like lioness fighting for her baby's rights and like but it was just there's just a lot missing you know there was not a very big emotional component to it and i felt like i was like eh, this could be better so yeah would I recommend it nope nope would not <laughs> <laughs> nope <laughs> sure not because i even was like talking about it with my mom and uh and of course me the watcher of movies like goes on and on and she's like okay honey yep right no totally i agree <laughs> and i'm like but she was actually because i was saying pretty much the same things that you were that it, there was like a lash lack of emotional component to the um to the story and she was like no i agree with you i think that it could have been written better and i was like thank you mom <laughs> i appreciate that <laughs> you know i was like validation <laughs> yeah know? no yeah i mean if you have like bad writing and a not so great director, I think that's like a very bad combination. Like if the vision isn't coming across for a story that should be pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, it's a delicate, it's a delicate um, story, uh, especially since it's about people who are sex workers. And I think that there is a lot of stigma around being a sex worker. I, I don't really necessarily feel that way. I think that people have to make money the way they have to make money. And sometimes you have to unfortunately get into sex work, you know? Um, but I, I just, it's like, it, it's like just, you need, you need someone who's going to make the characters more empathetic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was familiar with the Long Island serial killer story. And so watching that movie was just very disappointing. Yeah, no, I yeah. can, yeah. Yeah, big time. I was like, okay. So anyway, what's yours? Uh, my first one is a movie called Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Have I ever, I might've talked about it before. I don't know if I, I don't even think I've heard of that movie. Okay, well, it stars Gabrielle Anwar. And I okay. love that movie as a kid. It's a Disney movie. It's a live action Disney movie. And it, was one of my favorite movies for years and years and years and it's based on a true story of uh 
Sonora Webster Carver, who okay. uh, went into business, or she joined a, a horse diving troop, I guess. So what it is is horses would run up a ramp and die, and the, the rider would get on the horse's back and then dive into a pool of water. And this is based on a true story. And she did, she had a bad dive. Uh, they had like a, I don't know what, I don't remember what it's called, but they had like a, like contract in Atlantic City after a while. And she had a bad dive and she went into the water with her eyes open and that detached her retinas and she went <laughs> blind. And then she continued to dive horses for years and years after that. And I was obsessed with the movie when I was a kid and I wanted to read the book for so, so, so long. And I kept looking it up like through the years, once the internet became like a thing, I would look it up every so often. It was like the only one I could find was like $700 or something. It was impossible to find. And then within the last like, I don't know, seven to 10 years, they must have reprinted it because I found it on Amazon, like very, you know, like at a good price. And uh, I read it, and it's just, I mean, the Disney movie is Disney-fied, of course, but the core of the story is the same, is that she, like, went blind and kept diving horses, and she was very pragmatic about, like, the horses seemed to like diving. Like, she said every, so often, like, animal rights people would come by, but the horses were not forced. Like, they were, I mean... I guess it might look like they were forced, but they enjoy, you know, like they all, it was, it wasn't like a bad operation. It was just, it was, it's really, it's an interesting story and it's a glimpse behind the curtain of like, uh, quote unquote carnival acts, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, her story is just so fascinating. And she tells in the, in the book, she tells the story of a horrific, uh, like circus trapeze type accident that happened in Atlantic City and it's like awful but that's not in the movie at all but I just I don't know the movie was so awesome when I was a kid and I loved the book and I loved her story and and I just like words can't really describe how excited I was to finally be able to read the true story when I finally got my hands on the book the book is called um, A Girl and Five Brave Horses if anyone's interested but yeah the movie's okay um it's Disney-fied, like I said, but it's a fun story. If you have little kids, especially little girls, I think they'd probably really enjoy it. And obviously, our demographic is probably not little girls, but I think it's a it's an it's a lost it's a lost <laughs> gem, I would say. And watching it right now as an adult, like if you're listening, watching it for the first time as an adult, you might get a kick out of it. It sounds super familiar like I'm looking it up on IMDb right now and I'm like I feel like I've seen this before like the love interest like years ago yeah oh yeah I think it came out in like the early 90s 91. like I was in first it was in first grade when it came out yeah and um oh, so she was just she was super young when she was I think that was like the first movie I'm one of her first movies but the love interest in the movie is um from 16 candles he plays the love interest in 16 candles Ew, uh, he was terrible in that movie what was his name i can't remember jake in 16 candles and in this he was uh hold on let's see his name al carver al well, i mean his real like what's his oh oh <laughs> not the character <laughs> i knew that i was just i was testing you obviously and you passed good job <laughs> Michael Schofling, Schofling. Okay, that's. I knew he had like a. I almost said Michael Showalter, and that's why I stopped myself because I knew it was like a. 
some right. other sound. You, but, were, you were close though, so. Yeah. So anyway, it's a great story. Maybe not something adults will fully love, but it's always held a dear place in my heart. And it's yeah. fascinating that it was a true story too. That was his first movie as well. Oh, okay. No, it's it sounds interesting. It sounds kind of fun. It makes me want to watch it. I feel like I've seen it though. Like I'm. I some, bet you have. Like, I mean, it, you were a kid when that movie came out. Like you, you would have been the prime audi- prime target audience. You know. Yeah, for sure. For an sure. inspirational movie for girls. You know. Yeah, that's why I, <laughs> I told you about how I got accidentally. I accidentally got into that show. Um, spirit riding free <laughs> and it's like I think it's a nostalgia thing because whenever I watch this show I'm like I, I wish I had that childhood like riding these like gorgeous like beautiful lands of Montana like on your horse like with your friends it sounds just like super fun as an adult I'm like oh hell no that sounds like the worst thing ever and I would never ever want that but as a kid I was like yeah so it I don't know made me feel kind of nostalgic so this is like one of those things where I'm feeling like if I watched it I'd feel like all nostalgic about it you know I got it yeah yeah okay so my next one is uh gonna kind of just stay in the same category of um women being treated mistreated terribly and i'm going to talk about bombshell it was with uh i haven't seen that yet you told you actually your review of it made me like drag my feet to not yeah so it's um it's okay i mean i saw it in theaters and i kind of wish i hadn't it's like again it's a very serious topic and there is like very little emotional aspect involved and it's like these women so it's about roger isles at fox news and how he was um accused of sexual misconduct with his female employees and it had you know it's like charlie's theron plays like megan kelly and then i can't remember who nicole kidman plays because i don't watch fox news but anyway basically like he was mistreating these women um it sounded like he had sexually assaulted Megan Kelly. And then there was like another female character involved who was played by Margot Robbie. And she, I think was a fictional character, but there was like a very uncomfortable scene with her and Roger Isles where like he asked her to like pull up her skirt and stuff. And she's like, it's, it's so like that I would say as far as like intense scenes were done was good because it made you very uncomfortable you know but the rest of the film was just like it was just okay like it it wasn't anything spectacular and it made me very sad because these amazing women are in it and Roger Isles is played by John Lithgow who's also an awesome actor and um but also (laughs) this like one part really bothered me and it doesn't even really have to do with the main plot it's just like how they portrayed this relationship so Kate McKinnon's in it and her and Margot Robbie end up like having sex and the thing is though first of all that's like my dream team so like how dare you take away a kiss between like all I wanted was a kiss between Kate McKinnon and Margot Robbie and I didn't even get that they don't even show they don't show anything 
they it's didn't all show implied. anything. So it's just like suggested that they do. And then they're lying in bed together and they're like, but it's like the way I would lie, like a like two best girlfriends would lie in bed gossiping with each other. Like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so and the thing that they did? Like, oh my God, that's so crazy. You know, and and so they're just like sitting there and they're or they're lying there and they're gossiping. And I'm like, these two women have not just had sex. Okay, like come on. Like it's just it was just like they were trying to shove like an LGBTQ storyline in there and they were doing it in the worst way possible. And it was like it was like you can see Megan Kelly kissing her husband, who was played by Mark Duplass, by the way. And um, but you can't show like they they just had sex, but you can't show them share just a kiss, like anything. And it was it was just like very strange. Like it felt so shoved in there just for like convenience sake or or like to be like cool because it's about Fox News and Fox News is usually seen as like a conservative, you know, like um whatever. Uh and I was, I was just like, so like, I was insulted by that. I was like, okay, fuck you writers of bombshell come back at me when you show like a good lesbian storyline. Like, and, and other than that, I would say Margot Robbie is amazing in this film. And there's a scene where she's talking about how Roger Isles like made her show off her like underwear to him, or there was like maybe more that happened. And, um, and she's crying and and it's just like and it hurts your like it hurts you you know it's just so hard to watch this girl who is just trying to have a career and and be like sexually assaulted by someone that she was supposed to trust and so would i recommend it no probably not <laughs> unless i would say unless you're really into the like you've been following the roger isles story then sure but that bastard he got fired and he got like a like a uh like his whole like package when he was fired was like 60 million dollars or something what? it was like a huge I, mean, I could be wrong but it was a it was millions of dollars and he basically they were just like yeah you did this wrong but we're gonna give you this huge sum of money i was like let him die in the streets like after he fucked up he fucked over all these women fuck that guy i hope he like dies in the streets you know like a miserable fucking piece of shit like he should but no he's just i don't know living his life being a fucking millionaire because there's no consequences for your actions i guess anyway obviously that story is like <laughs> touches a chord with me as it should for anyone i feel like any sensible person but yeah so yeah that's that sounds crazy that's insane yeah yeah Anyway, yeah. maybe I'll see the movie someday. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> I wouldn't rent it. If you're going to watch it, don't spend money on it. That's yeah. Nice. I mean, like, it seems like a movie that I'd probably only watch if I was in a random group of people who were really excited about watching it. That <laughs> was a captive audience, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, the thing is that I hadn't even really wanted to see it. And my sister was like, we're going to go see, uh, we're going to go see Bombshell. And I was like, okay. Cause she was like in town and I love my sister and I wanted to spend time with her. So I was like, okay, sure. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I kind of walked out of there and they were like, oh, I liked it. And I was like, did you? <laughs> you know? like, I was like, because let me tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't like this movie. <laughs> yeah. That, that reminds me of one time I was like, I think I told you I was part of like a horror movie meetup and we went to go see the movie Lights Out. It's with uh, Teresa Palmer and Maria Bello. 
and it's like not a good movie and I was sitting next to this guy and I turned to him at the at the end of the movie and I go so what do you think of the movie and he goes oh well I liked it and he goes well what did you think of it and I was like well let me tell you John all the reasons I didn't like this movie <laughs> it's just like you could kind of like sense him like he wasn't physically inching away but like mentally he was like I had to get out of the situation <laughs> yeah the like, girl that no one wants to get set. for you yeah <laughs> Uh, anyway what's your next one my next one is Moneyball and um, Mike introduced me to this movie Uh, he let me borrow it uh, years ago and that was Brad Pitt sure is yes Mm -hmm. Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and Philip Seymour Hoffman is in it and Chris Pratt is in it and (laughs) all kinds of people are in the movie but it's a beautiful beautiful movie and I, I really like Mike has been telling, like, teach me about baseball. Basically, I didn't know a lot about baseball beyond like just the bare bones basics of how baseball works. But right, this movie is so beautiful that you don't even have to know much about baseball. I mean, knowing a lot about baseball definitely helps. Like, there's a lot of things that go over my head, but every shot could be a a beautiful still photograph and that's so rare in movies like i notice it when i see it in movies because you don't see it that often and it's gorgeous the greens are so like the color green is so gorgeous there's like beautiful lighting just every shot is like you just flipping through a photo book and i love that and it's um a very thoughtful movie i love brad pitt like i think like i don't know if brad pitt could do much wrong i mean obviously legends of the fall isn't a good movie but i just i just love (laughs) brad pitt like and he's great in this movie and it's about um it's based on a true story about billy bean who was a general manager of the oakland a's and he hooked up with jonah hill's character to transform the team and they use like this new system uh of scouting players which was like against the grain and just the story of how that endeavor went and everything and it's obviously based on a true story and it's just i don't know it's it's so much i mean i like sports movies so i don't i'm not being derogatory when i say this but it feels like so much more than a sports movie it's well, um, I, get, I get what you mean i mm-hmm. get what you mean yeah it's very thoughtful and 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 baseball is like a very thoughtful game as well uh mike has said he's i mike has said he's heard it described as like chess on a field or something to that effect and and that makes sense because like there's a lot that happens and so for the the movie is very thoughtful as well and i think that fits the pacing of like baseball itself so it's like they captured baseball in a movie and it's i don't know i it's it's a really beautiful beautiful thing and i've seen field of dreams and i'm not a fan of field of dreams so um i'm not like just, field of dreams <laughs> yeah, um but Moneyball is is where it's at i think and i think anybody would i i would say if you're a fan of movies watch Moneyball. like you don't have to be a fan of sports or sports movies or anything but just for the craft of movie making itself and the story is awesome. Like, I really like the story and I really like the acting and the characters are really good. Um, so it, it's like a full package, but just for the craft of movie making almost, it's worth watching. Even if you're like, oh, I'm not sure how I'll feel about this. I think you'll probably just enjoy the beauty of the movie. 
Yeah, it got nominated for a bunch of Oscars, too. Best Motion Picture of the Year, Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role, Best Performance of an Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Achievement in Film Editing. So, impressed. Impressed. <laughs> nice. Yeah, maybe I'll watch it. Um, I'm not, like, against uh, sports films, but I don't think I, I just don't really seek them out, except I guess I like boxing films. So there's that, you know, I mean, but I don't know. <laughs> um, so my next one is the exorcism of Emily Rose, actually. So it's based on, um, a true story, obviously about, uh, this woman named Annalise Michelle. And I tend to not like exorcism movies because I just kind of like, I don't, that's not something I believe in. So I don't find it scary, you know? Um, so I find them kind of like boring, but this movie is on a whole other level because it, it's from the beginning, it's about this, um, these, these, this like priest and her family are taken to court because she dies and they're like, so you're not sure the entire movie if she was really possessed or if it was all psychological. And so, and it really like leaves you questioning the end too, where you're like, I don't really know what happened here. And it's, it's just, it's well done. It's, I would say if you like horror movies and you like exorcism movies that, and or psychological movies, like you should watch this movie because it, it's sad and it's like scary kind of a little bit. I mean, it is a little scary. So the person who plays Emily Rose is played by Jennifer Carpenter, who was in Dexter and Laura Linney and like Tom Wilkinson are in it. Wow. Yeah. And so it's, it's definitely like, it's not, it's just different than what I had expected. It's totally, and it really kind of just leaves you kind of going like, what happened here? And I like that it did that because it, it leaves a lot of questions in the air, but like in a, in a good way, you know, like in a way where you're like, okay, this is <laughs> like really makes me wonder what the hell happened. And that's what happened in real life is that this girl died, but it was fine though that she was like malnourished and all this different stuff. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would say about that one. That's interesting. I feel like that might be a movie I'd want to watch sometime. It's, I mean, it sounds fascinating. She, like, there's a lot of parts with her, like, screaming her head off, so you might want to, like, have the volume, like, ready just so you can turn it down a little bit. Um, <laughs> why are you making that face? I don't know. Like, maybe my neighbors will think I'm having a horror movie festival or something. Someone's being tortured. Like, go away! It's only torture! <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just filming a movie with a woman tied and about to get burned at the stake. No big yeah, deal. Exactly. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think you might like it. You might, you, it might find, you know, it might capture your interest a little bit. The thing about scary movies is I, though I don't gravitate towards them, if they seem more unique than most, I do, I am interested And in that. This sounds like a scary movie that's unique, as you said. So I, I, it sounds interesting to me and I didn't know that it was based on a real story. So that's interesting too. Yeah, um, it's definitely, I think, again, I try and stay away from possession films because I just don't like them. I find them boring. Uh, but this one I've seen multiple times and each time I'm like, shit, 
what happened here, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's good. And I really like Tom Wilkinson and Laura Linney too. So yeah. I feel like you can't go wrong with those, you know, and Jennifer Carpenter does an awesome job at being like just this broken woman who's like dying and, and yeah. So yeah, that's what I'd say. I'd recommend yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, my last one, my last one that I picked was Apollo 13, uh, okay, which was another movie that I had major hearts in my eyes about when I was growing up. I watched it many, many times and I love Tom Hanks. I love Bill Paxton. Kevin Bacon's there too. And I, um, I, he's I just, along for the ride, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> Gary Sinise didn't get to go to space and he's better for it. And I just, it's a, it's such a good, oh, and uh, Ed Harris like oh yeah okay. i told my friend amanda and i we went to new york together and this is a total side story but we went to new york together when i was 19 and she was 20 i think and we were we were in our hotel room and we had we were laying in bed but it was separate beds like who cares right. either way but we were laying in our respective beds and and it was at night and we were the lights were off and everything and we were playing a game like would you make out with this person and <laughs> I used to do that shit all the time when I was and, younger too. And I said something like, I think I'd make out with everyone in Michigan in NASA Mission Control that has glasses and she got a kick out of that. <laughs> what are you talking about specifically in that movie? Well, that movie was what like brought them to my attention and you know, like I don't know. I just I, I don't know what I just really, that's not why I like the movie. It's just a, a, a happy accident uh, that happened with the movie. But anyway, a lot of just, sexy looking dudes with glasses. With, and yeah, they're like super looking. smart and they got like that 60s haircuts and they're just like cool. But everybody thinks they're nerds, but they're the coolest people, you know, and they're working for Mission Control. I mean, they brought them back alive. They dumped a box of mishmash on the table and made an air filter out of it. It's a great movie. I love the scene when the Saturn V lifts off. I could watch that scene over and over and over again. You're, You're so adorable. Long. I'm like dying over here. <laughs> and I just, I, <laughs> it's a triumph in movie making and it's a great real story. And it's, I love space travel. I love the space program. And I, I think it's, it's so cool. And it's, uh, a really cool story about just how wrong things could go and how ingenuity brought them back. Like they came back alive and it's like in outer space, like one critical malfunction and you're like dead. Cause nothing in space is yeah. designed to like boost your life, like give you life. Like on earth you could, as I mean, if you're not in the middle of the ocean, like on land you could potentially survive things because there's just oxygen all around you you know but like fatal errors in space are fate well fatal errors are fatal but you know what i mean and so i just like it's so amazing that they not only created something that could defy gravity take someone to space take someone to the moon but take someone to space but they also millions of miles thousands hundreds of thousands of miles apart can convey messages to these people and say listen you have these 60 things on the ship and we want you to create what we never intended you to create with them so you can we can bring you home you know and and it's i don't know i love that movie i could i could watch it 
over and over again. And I did as a young kid, not because of the sexy scientist. I'm just saying, <laughs> I just, and I love Tom Hanks. And- Cause you're a space boy. <laughs> space boy. Sam always add, like adds things to like, like boy to like things. Like she's like, you're a, you're a sandwich boy. And I always hear it in that you're a space boy. <laughs> I have to give Mike credit for that. He started it and it caught on with me because I think it's so fun. So it is pretty fun. I have to give credit to him. The tree goes back to him. The roots are him. (laughs) I just carry on the tradition. Um, I didn't realize that Ron Howard directed it. He did. He sure did. Yeah, I remember it being a very, a very good film. From what I remember, I don't remember a lot, but um. Wow, he directed Willow. I had no idea. Oh, Willow is so good. Mike showed me that movie uh, recently, and I'd never seen it. And it's so good. So, so yeah, good. It is so good. I know. Well, because remember, like, I I had that, I had my friend, our friend, Samantha, over, and she was like, okay, we need to watch this movie. And it was after yeah. Mulan. It was after Mulan. And, um, or was it Mulan? I think it was, anyway. And we watched it, and I was like, wow, I like this way better than the movie that we're doing. <laughs> the yeah, Willow's really yeah. good. Warwick Davis, man. Yeah. Po- you should watch Life's Too Short. It's a show he did. You might enjoy it. It's very funny. I, might, I wonder if it's streaming anywhere. I'm not sure. It's a BBC show, so you prob- probably not. They like to make things difficult. I don't know. <laughs> I know. Those damn BBCers. Um, so I, I have two more, but I'm just going to mention just one. Um, just because I think it's worth mentioning. But the show Share Noble, that's on um, HBO, uh, that is a fantastic show. And I would recommend that one for sure. Yeah. yeah. Also, Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> you do love uh, Stellan Skarsgård. I do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Share Noble is very good. I think it's a little exaggerated based on the events, but it's Hollywood. So what can you expect? But overall. Most things uh, are. Yeah. Jared Harris is in it. Um and I really like him as well. I think he's a great actor. Is he so. the subway guy? <laughs> no, no. Good Lord. That guy's in, that guy's in prison, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, he can stay there as far as I'm concerned. Um, no, Jared Harris is an actor. <laughs> but he's, um, he's, an, he's an awesome actor, too. So it's good. It's a good show. Anyway, that's it. That's just a little recommendation. So are you ready to talk about the movies? I'm ready. I okay. am ready. So we both watched Citizen Kane and Make, and we watched them like in that order, right? You watched them in that order. Big time. So what did you think of Citizen Kane? Wait, wait. No. Okay, let me actually, let me ask you one other question first. Do you agree with my assessment of Citizen Kane being chaotic? Yes. Okay. It, it is chaotic. Um, the movie style of Citizen Kane, I, I think I used this example before, like for Gone Girl for different reasons, but It's a Wonderful Life has a very similar style where it's like snippets from someone's life. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, I didn't do any research, but I wonder if that movie making style, if It's a Wonderful Life was inspired by Citizen Kane, because it's very, I can see like just the bones of it. I can see similarities and I don't actually know which one came out first. Let, let me ask the Yahoogle. Let me ask the Yahoogle. Hey, Google. When did It's a Wonderful Life come out? In the United States of America, 
It's a Wonderful Life was released on January 7th, 1947. So yeah, it came out after Citizen Kane. Okay. So I just wondered if it was if that style was inspired by Citizen Kane because I saw a lot of similarities. Um, as far as the movie goes, I thought it was weird to watch because anybody who's been alive for more than like eight years knows the twist. And so the whole motivation of the movie, I knew the whole time. And I didn't know that, like, I knew that Rosebud was a sled because, like I said, you just know that thing, that sort of thing. But I didn't know that the motivation of the movie was figuring out what Rosebud was. So as I was watching it, I was like, man, I wish that I had watched this movie as a seven-year-old, you know, where it would actually get me. Right. But it didn't get me. And so that power, like, it's like there's no power in that anymore uh right. because the whole movie i'm like okay it's a slut he wants to go back to simpler days blah 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 um i also think i like the story i think it's a good story i think orson wells does a superb job like there are scenes in the movie where he laughs and he laughs like a real person and i really appreciated that like he like i feel like he was a very natural actor when he would show emotion. And I, I was very impressed by that because I think that that's harder to find around that time period, especially. Um, I didn't like everything is mid Atlantic. Everything is mid Atlantic and that mm -hmm. starts to bother me. And that kind of bothered me about Mank as well, because they were like mid Atlantic, even when they weren't filming movie scenes and i'm like i'm pretty sure everybody and their brother didn't talk like that around the dinner table you know right um but so that started to grade on me um and it was very long like i could do without the like long scenes in the middle about the opera like his second wife being in the opera and everything but i really liked how they met i thought it was really cute when she was laughing at him and she's like i got water in here if you wanted i thought that was a cute little scene so story-wise, I thought the story was very creative and I, I enjoyed the story. Movie-wise, I'm just eh about it. Like I've finally seen Citizen Kane. I can, you know, like put that on my like movie belt. I can put a notch on my movie belt for <laughs> Citizen Kane, you know, or like if I'm doing like the AFI 100 list challenge, I can check that one off. But I don't know if my life is better for having seen it. I don't feel like, I don't feel like it was like anything that you need to run out and watch i can see why it stood the test of time i'm not trying to be like cruel i understand why it's so popular because for its time i thought it was pretty modern like it still suffers right. from like the mid-atlantic accent and like some pacing issues but the spirits behind the people and some of the dialogue and everything i thought was pretty modern for compared to what i was expecting so right. what did what did you think? I would like to hear your review. Well, first of all, I want to tell you, I told you that I would tell you about how I was arguing with my dad over Rosebud and what it meant. So I went over there just to like say hi and spend some time with him the other day. And he's like, and I was like, we're doing Citizen Kane and we're doing Mank for our new, the new uh, episode. And he goes, okay, but what's the meaning behind Rosebud? I'm like, dad, it's the sled. And he's like, no, 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 no. There's something else behind it. And I'm like, 
well, it's the sled. <laughs> like, like, and I kept saying that, and he's like, and he's like, no, 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 whatever. No, no, no. There's something more. There's something yeah, else. Well, I mean, the subtext of the sled right, is right, like. Right, it is. But like, no, but like, so I'll get into it, and I'll explain more. So I called him, like, as the credits were rolling, because I was like, okay, I finally have to tell him that I'm right, because, you know, it's fun, you know, it's fun telling people you're right. Anyway. But I don't, I don't understand, like, I think he was right, like. No, no, well, would you let me tell you the story? <laughs> I'm getting more into it. Yes, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. So, I'm like, okay, so I finished the movie, and it was the sled, and he's like, but was it the like a nickname for like another person like that's what he thought it was he was like you buried the lead i'm sorry that i interrupted you but you totally buried the lead (laughs) i was doing it intentionally (laughs) all right keep going i'm sorry again (laughs) you brat (laughs) okay so So anyway, he's like, he's like, no, no, no. But it was like a person. Like it was like a metaphor for like a person, like a nickname of a person. And I was like, no, dad, it was literally a sled. Like he was like, and then I was like, okay. Like he still wouldn't like believe me. So I looked it up on like BBC, like bbc.cu.uk. And I was like it. And it was like the, it was a, I think it wasn't I think it was the writer who wrote Mank or something so like it was about the David Fincher film but they were also talking about Citizen Kane and they were like the sled is named Rosebud because it's what the like the company that produced the sled named it Rosebud and that's what he was concentrating on he was thinking that like he's like who names a sled rosebud and i was like it's like a manufacturer's name and so he was so focused on this and i was like it's the name of the sled dad and he was finally like oh okay so i see you were right it it makes more sense that it's the manufacturer's name for the sled and i was just like that was the most pointless argument we've ever had <laughs> and that was it that was the whole story yeah so uh how did i feel i um i liked it actually i i do agree with you that there are some points where i was like okay <laughs> like the the opera scene i think was a little bit too much when i think they could have condensed that down um but i think that what i liked most about it is the relationship between kane and susan because it 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 was just showing like he was just so dominating over her and he never let her do what she wanted you know she like was like this whole opera thing was terrible i'm horribly humiliated i never want to do this again and he's like well tough shit you're gonna do it again and she's like no and he's like too bad you know like i don't want to be embarrassed and she's like you don't want to be embarrassed what about me like this is me like i'm the one that's on stage but it's about you and and that was kind of their entire relationship and she even said that like later when he you know she's leaving and he's like well what about me like you're just gonna leave me here and she's like that's always what it's about she's like you know charlie like you're always gonna be it's just always about you And now I'm going because I can't do this anymore. And I was like, good for you, Susan. You should go because he is like, he just mistreated her and he hit her and like was emotionally abusive. And he wanted to keep her in one place. Like he, he wanted to keep her at Xanadu. And, um, 
And she's like, I want to leave. And I want to go to, what'd she say? Like, want to go to the ocean or travel or whatever. And he's like, well, we have all our friends coming into town and you're going to hang out with them. And she's like, I don't want to host. I want to go places. I want to leave this fucking place. Like, well, she didn't say fucking, but you know, pretty much like a 1941 version of that. Um, and I really, I really felt for Susan. I wouldn't say that I necessarily liked her as a character. She was kind of uh, whiny and shrill, but I really felt for her as a person because she was essentially under this control of this like incredibly powerful like monster of a man, you know. And he has all the money in the world and doesn't know what to do with it. He just keeps buying shit from Europe, and it's like, and she's just stuck in this like tomb this gigantic tomb of a home um fun story though so the the castle that that's based on is based on Hearst castle or san simeon in uh california and i've been there and it is the coolest fucking castle like it is so like i would 1000 percent go to Hearst castle again it is beautiful there's this enormous outdoor pool that's surrounded by all these columns like if you if you're listening and you have a chance to look it up, look up Hearst Castle because it's gorgeous. And like the interior, oh, I would, I would love to go there again. Yeah, I think it's cool that you've been there. I think you, you told me about that a few years ago when I looked it up then and it is a really cool looking house. I yeah. think it's neat that you've been there. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so overall, I would say I do like it. I have seen this movie before. I saw it when I was like a teenager and it, it had a pretty big effect on me when I was a teenager, I think. Um, and as a, an adult, I think it's, I don't think it has such a big effect on me, but I, just to play off on what you said, as far as like this movie standing the test of time, I think a big part of the reason why it stood the test of time is because of the scandal behind it, you know, with Hearst being so, you know, like he, he was trying to block it everywhere. He was trying to make sure that um, theaters didn't play this and everything like that. He tried to ruin Orson Welles. Um, I mean, all this stuff. Like, he tried to ruin the reputation of him. And and then to find out when we're watching Mank that, like, Mank was actually friends with Hearst, I was like, wow, that's a pretty low blow. Like, I'm not saying that Hearst didn't deserve to be taken down in that because he did seem a little bit controlling and awful. But it was like damn i guess you know like keep your enemies close or your, your friends close and your enemies closer because they will stab you in the back because that's exactly what i feel like mank did to hearst like i don't think they were like good good friends or anything but it, i don't know it was it was that was interesting it was really interesting to see the behind the scenes part of mank um when i had seen citizen kane first and like understood like, because there's no way I would have gotten Mank if I hadn't watched Citizen Kane first, you know? Yeah, it opened up Mank on a whole new level. And I was going to actually recommend, like, if someone wanted to watch Mank, I would say watch Citizen Kane first. Because watching Absolutely. Mank, you'll, you'll get the gist that, oh, it's about making Citizen Kane. But there's a lot of things that I think you just won't, you won't yeah. get. And, and Citizen Kane really enriched the movie yeah um in that way so if if you are interested in watching mank i would and you haven't seen citizen kane i would definitely watch citizen kane first maybe not all in like a two-day span but like <laughs> um yeah i uh i, I 
just to just to say one more thing i think citizen kane makes mank more impactful you know what i mean i think that if you're if you're going to skip citizen kane then you're just not going to get the emotion behind why it's such a strong film you know yeah and i think that that i have issues with both movies uh but i think that what makes citizen kane worth watching almost or sorry what makes mank worth watching is watching citizen kane first yeah Yeah, i agree um because i really like seeing i mean obviously it's movified but i like seeing the stories behind the movie and behind the real people and i'm sure there's like little threads of truth that run through the bombastic movification movification of what they Mm -hmm. did to the story and that makes it interesting and i like in terms of mank i generally am a fan of old hollywood stories because i think that's so fascinating just old hollywood in general and all the characters and faces of people that come and go and how they all were like wealthy elites in this tiny little town just like making movies and making buco bucks and loose morals and just like oh i'm having a party and charlie chaplin and gloria swanson are gonna be there you know like just crazy like and i mean it's like modern day hollywood but not quite because they were so condensed i think modern hollywood like some people live in new york some people live in london you know in early days it was like Los Angeles and Hollywood was like the place and and there's just so much history there and I think that it's really interesting and so and I like seeing like Louis B. Mayer and all those people coming in and you see the movie sets and I, I'm really fascinated by movie sets like if I ever go to Los Angeles I really want to tour studio lots because I very very fascinated by those and I like that's on my bucket list of things to see is I just want to see at least one studio lot just to see it i know that movies are filmed all over the world but i'm just very very curious about what it's like it's to like be a novel it. thing if you get yeah. To see it. yeah and it's like, like an old hollywood yeah. thing and it's just i don't know it's very cool um so i like that but and i think david fincher did a good job making an old movie because the movie even had like cigarette burns in the corner and yes, stuff i and noticed that too i don't know i didn't know if you were gonna notice that but i like immediately like i was like oh hey look at that yeah yeah so i thought that that was neat um but i have to tell you lauren watching so many fincher movies in a row has made me less of a fincher fan (laughs) i i told mike that i think his movies are long-winded and bloated (laughs) i i love david fincher i don't think anything will make me less of of a fincher fan um i liked mank a lot too and like really like i think i had i did have a couple issues with it but they were not big issues um other than the fact that mank was supposed to be 43 in the film and uh Gary Oldman is like 63. I think that they they did that because he's like an alcoholic who probably did look 20 years older. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. But um, because I was looking up Tuppence Middleton's uh, age, she plays his wife Sarah, 
And I was like, I was like, Tuppence Middleton cannot be that much older than me. And I looked her up and she's 34. So she's my age. Wow. And yeah. And, uh, and then I looked him up and I was like, okay, so he's in his sixties. And I was like, but they've been married for 20 years within the movie. So I'm like trying to like, you know, that like meme of like the lady that's like, kind of like, like darting her eyes back and forth and like all those math, like figures are like floating all around the screen. Like I was kind of like that. And I was like, so either they started dating when she was 14, which I don't think is what happened here. <laughs> like, I'm just going to go on a limb. And then I realized, oh, so she's, a, she's probably only like a couple years younger than him. You know what I mean? In the movie. You know what I mean? Are you in talking her about character. the, oh, so the character in him, because I am confused because I thought you were looking up the actress's age compared to Gary Oldman's age, not the I character's was. age compared to. No, so I, I don't. This is what I'm, I'm saying is that Mank was 43 in the movie. Sure. Right. So I'm guessing Sarah, the character, was around the same age. Oh, However, right. The actress okay. is 34 in real life. And so I was like, okay, so he's like 30 years older than her. Um, but I didn't like have an issue with their relationship it felt like it was like it felt like they were married you know like it felt like she and I like Tubbins Middleton I've only seen her in a couple things um but ever whenever I see her in anything I like her I like her roles you know I think she's good she she actually reminds me a lot of um Numi Rapace a little bit like kind of like and they look a little bit alike I don't know like maybe the vibe is similar um, but I, so I, you know, when he said, oh, we've been married for 20 years, I was just like, what the fuck? I was like, how old are these people? Because I'm like, imagining that he's in his sixties, but then he was like, oh no, I'm 43. And then, you know, it's revealed like at the end that he dies at like age 55. So I was like, okay, so it obviously wasn't in his sixties in the film, but I was just like, what the hell is happening here? <laughs> like, what is the age difference? And I mean, I, I know that Hurston, obviously Marion Davies had a, a very big age difference. That was, I, I'm guessing like true to life. Um, I'm pretty sure it was, uh, but um, yeah, anyway, that, that's just it. That was just my little like little thing where I was like, okay, so Gary Oldman's playing a man in his 40s. Right. Got it. <laughs> you know? Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah listen, um, love Gary Oldman. Huge Gary Oldman fan. I don't think I've ever seen a movie of his that I didn't like, or at least like his performance in. But um, yeah, no, he, he doesn't look like he's in his 40s. <laughs> <That's>, you know? <laughs> No, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> black and white helped a little bit, I guess. But no, um, yeah, I I had issue with a lot of the performances in the movie. I thought um, I was watching, it was very weird. I, I felt like I was watching actors act like they were acting. Okay. Because as I said, I'm pretty sure in real life, people back then didn't all speak with a mid-Atlantic accent. It was just like a media accent, you know? Um, and so they would have them sitting around the dinner, t dinner table and being like, now see here, what about that Nazi guy? Hitler, it's all about his mustache, see? He's never going to amount to anything. Don't worry, he'll be gone in a while. And I'm like, that's, I don't think people talk like that. So it was like, I, oh, wait, it can was, I, can I say one thing just to say that when they were saying that I was like, oh boy, you have a whole other thing coming. Well, <laughs> that's also something that bothers me because it's so on the nose because I mean, I'm sure that Hitler was on everybody. Like Hitler was probably the topic of many dinner table conversations, but 
we have the luxury of knowing history and they didn't. So I don't know if the conversation would also would be that on the nose in a, in a setting. And so that things like that bother me in movies when they're not done with extreme caution. And I don't feel like this one was because I'm like, yeah, okay. Hitler becomes a horror is a horrible guy. And we know that watching the movie and they know that making the movie, but what did the conversations actually sound like? in that time period because it's very tongue-in-cheek to be like don't worry he won't amount to anything and maybe people really did think that and feel that but we're on the other side of history so it's hard for me to get on board with a conversation that's just so obvious in addition to an accent that's just so obvious and so things like that really bother me when i see it in movies because it's it's so easy to be like like in like the wedding singer pokes fun at this very phenomenon because Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler are talking to like a wedding planner and she's like oh my gosh you guys are gonna go so far like Bert and Lonnie and Donald and Ivanka and like it's tongue-in-cheek because those marriages didn't last and we all know that we know those marriages didn't last but she's supposed to be someone in 1985 who thinks that they're like great love stories but it's like they know what they're doing and that's The Wedding Singer, which is a comedy. And this is Mank, which is like a dramatic movie with comic aspects, but they're not, it's not an Adam Sandler movie. So I don't like that it's playing out like a serious Adam Sandler movie, you know, for lack right. of a better way of describing it. So that really started getting on my nerves because I'm like, all of these people in the 1940s were just like, they all had crystal balls and they all just knew that they could talk so flippantly about something you know and i right. i didn't care well, for that <laughs> i think a lot of those conversations took place in like the mid 30s um because they kept going back and forth. like i i have to say that oh well i have two things to say for one i don't totally agree with you on that and the reason i don't agree with you on that is because i've had my own personal experiences before trump was elected president where i was like this guy's gonna go nowhere he's a joke he's a joke he's not gonna go anywhere and lo and behold, he ended up being elected president. So I feel like I could, I felt a lot of parallels with them talking about Hitler with me talking about Donald Trump, you know? Um, so, I mean, like, I, I also see what you mean and see where you're coming from. And, um, but I, I guess I, I didn't mind it as much. I, I thought that it, it, to me, it felt like it was like, it felt maybe it was a little over the top but for the most part it felt pretty authentic to me you know i think that was my problem was the authenticity because i don't mind a conversation like that done well in a subtle way like it would be in real life but i didn't feel like this movie had much subtlety in it no i don't think so either and so that is where it like crossed the line for me i guess mm-hmm because I agree with you, like, you never expect one person to kill six million people or to, like, be the catalyst for six million people dying. Like, nobody had that on their mind. But at the same time, like, Mank also, like, before the war, like, seemed to know what concentration camps were and everything. And I think that, like, that news sort of trickled out early on. And I don't know if he would have, like... 
I don't know the convert and I, I liked that one of the characters was like what's a concentration camp that felt more historically authentic to me than Mank saying something about concentration camps because I'm like I don't know if they like fully they knew things were happening to the Jews but I don't know if the full grasp that these are like murder camps and and you know like I don't think that that was like totally known yet and I'm obviously I'm not a historian I'm just speculating but that seemed like that one line seemed like it was coming from the other side of history. And then the guy saying what's a concentration camp seemed like it was coming from the correct side of history that this movie took place in. Yeah. I do so agree with that. I think it was the authenticity that I had a problem with because I, I totally agree with you that I'm sure those conversations took place just on a much different scale than they did in the movie. Right. Right. No. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, I I do yeah I agree with you I I think it it makes more sense that someone's like what is that what is that I don't even I don't even know what that is like um you know because like just for example I guess when I was learning about like internment camps and in, like you know the 40s and and everything with Japanese internment camps in the United States I was like what's an internment camp like I've heard of a concentration camp but not an internment camp and it's um I mean they're not terribly different but they are a little different but like still like the whole idea is very fucked up either way oh big but, time um, yeah yeah let's see so i have some notes i want to i i did write like now of course sometimes i write notes with the idea that future me is going to remember what the fuck i was talking about when i wrote these notes and then future me is like what the hell were you talking about past <laughs> me so i'm just going to read this and hope that you understand what i'm saying Okay. So this is about Citizen Kane. When the newspaper people were trying to find a new angle on Kane's death, they compared him to Hearst, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, Kane is supposed to be Hearst, but obviously they kind of made like a little, you know, reference to him. Um, and so I don't know if you remember that or <laughs> anything like that, but. Yeah, I think I remember that moment. Uh, and I remember it like catching my attention, like, oh, that's interesting. Cause you told me it was about Hearst. I didn't know that. Um, right. You told me before I watched it that that's who it was about. And so that definitely stood out to me. And that is a little bit cheeky, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it was a fairly, like, fairly accurate chronicle of Hearst's life, like, based on what I've read. Um, that you know he was like kind of from like a poor family but then he became what was it he became like an heir of like a gold mine or something yeah did i understand that correctly that the mother ran a boarding house and one of the boarders couldn't pay so he gave her the deed to this mine that he thought was like had nothing in it but then yeah, gold like was, was discovered but then gold was discovered and they became very wealthy yeah, and then she, like, handed him off to, what was it, that um, Mr. Thatcher, uh -huh. right? It was Mr. Thatcher. And she's like, okay, well, you know, good luck, buddy. Here you go. Um, I thought that that was strange, but I also see, it seemed to me like the part of the reason that she did it was because his father was abusive, and she was trying to get him out of that situation. Yeah, because, well, that at the end of the scene when she when he was said like oh that little boy just needs a good thrashing and she said well that's why i'm sending him away yeah i figured yeah. the same thing like he he was abusive but 
I thought it was really sad how the dad inside the house was like, I don't know why we can't raise our own kid. And then the little boy, you keep hearing him like playing and yelling and having a grand old time outside. And then, and then the dad's like trying to talk him, talk Charles, Charles, right? Yeah, yeah, Charles. Charles. He's trying to talk Charles into going on the trip. The dad's like, you're going to go see all kinds of big cities in Washington, D.C. and Chicago. I wish I could go on a trip like that. And so I was like, wow, the dad seems like I really liked the dad. And then in the, at the end, the very last thing you see in that scene was that the mother was sending Charles away, not only to get an education, but to get away from the dad so i i thought like oh that's a bait and switch i guess because the dad seemed more nice than the mom like the mom seemed very cold but then at the end of the scene like the roles are flipped like she actually was trying to take care of her son and and that was interesting and no, I, I, I i don't know it was, it was interesting i thought the exact same thing because he like they go outside and he's like oh my boy my boy and he's super affectionate and he's hugging you know, Charles and, or Kane, I'm just going to call him Kane. Um, he's hugging Kane and everything. And, and yeah, and then it was, it was, it was very weird. Like, and she was like, not even really making any emotions towards Kane at all, like to comfort him. And I could understand how this could be um, long-term have very negative effects on Kane as, as to why he turned out the way he did. Like it absolutely made sense in my mind that he what, was who he was, you know what I mean? Um, based on his childhood and I've talked about this many times before where the childhood is a strong indication of who of how someone turns out to be later in life um, yeah I thought it was interesting that he had he could have anything he ever wanted except for he could never his mother he could never go back in time and have his mother not send him away you know he could never have that mother child love that he missed out on once he left home and i and i like that storyline and i like that i like rosebud as a symbol of that storyline i think that's yeah. interesting but i think it's impossible not to have that stolen from you in today's because the movie's just so old and so well known like to watch the movie without any spoilers you'd have to be quite young you know yeah. probably yeah. not like seven you could probably probably be like a young teenager maybe and not know that the twist but like i think it's a very strong story i like the base of the story because of that mm -hmm. it's just you know like it's so long and it's you know there's just things about it but like yeah it's it's very interesting that he just wanted he just wanted love and i yeah. think that's why he like messed it up with the women as well because he he just like because part of like loving well is being able to be loved mm -hmm. and if you're not able to be loved then it's really hard to love well i think like you can think you're loving somebody well but you're still closed off to them you know yeah well and it's like it goes back to how he treated susan in his mind he's like no i'm doing this for you because i love you but she's like but you're not though you're doing it for yourself like right you and she's like and she is essentially saying like you can't see past yourself you cannot see me within this relationship and um you know and 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 i think that you make up a great point is that he he wanted you know this thing that he was denied later in life and i can understand how that would be really hard for a child to grow up and have healthy 
loving relationships with other people when your mother was just like, okay, have a good life. Bye. You know, like you're rich now. It was just very. Yeah. Like she thought money would take the place of a mother. Right. And obviously it, it didn't, it just creates so many more problems, but the problems are masked because he's so rich right that he can mask them you know right and i liked your i liked that you said it was chaotic because it is chaotic like it jumps around um i wouldn't say it jumps around quite as succinctly as i wanted it to because there's like interminable like blathering about the opera and stuff but like it is chaotic like it, it it's it's indicative of his life how he flits from one thing to the next trying to find that love that he didn't get and i think that that's quite a feat like a movie making style to portray the life of the main character is pretty interesting yeah i think so too and and i like that mank kind of followed along the same path as that and i thought that that was i thought that that was a clever way to like really like intertwine the two stories you know that it's um because and i texted this to you before but david fincher said that he wanted mink to look like it was a forgotten old film that like was suddenly shell like suddenly someone found it and was like oh my god this film is from the 40s and no one's seen it for years and years and let's show it to everyone and i and i, I felt that he did a pretty good job at that i felt that that was like because it was i mean it it was I, I don't know. I really liked Mank. I know that you're like not a big Fincher fan, but I was like, I was into it. <laughs> yeah, I think like Mank is pretty much identical to Citizen Kane. Like, yeah. it's it's made right. It's made in the image of Citizen Kane for sure. For sure, definitely. And in from like a like homage type filmmaking standpoint, I think he nailed it. Like David Fincher, oh, like nailed 100%. it. Yeah, it, it, you know it's long-winded and bloated but i think he nailed it because citizen kane is also long-winded you know um yeah i think there's there's probably a couple parts that they could have cut out um but i have to say though though my, my favorite scene i think was between Mank. like i really liked the relationship between mary and davies and mank um especially the one where they're like walking around the um the like the menagerie yeah and there's like all those like animals and everything and like they're just kind of having like it seemed a little it seemed a little flirtatious but it also seemed like a professional relationship at the same time like it was a little like there was a little bit of like like maybe crossing a line a little bit you know but it wasn't it didn't at the same time it didn't ever feel like inappropriate you know what I mean you know yeah you kind of get what I'm saying yeah, I actually wanted to ask you about something to that effect. Like, um, so at the little dinner party, Marion Davies says something and she sort of like gets the look and so she has to leave the room. Why did Mank's wife say like, go? Like, why did she, why was she like follow after her? You know, did, did you think that was weird? I thought that was weird. I... Yeah, I guess I thought that was kind of weird, too, because wasn't she, like, didn't, like, Hearst give her kind of, like, a weird look or something? And I I very much got the impression that Hearst was uh, controlling over Marion's life um, because he had bought, like, 
the rights to like Marion Antoinette and then Elizabeth Barrett Browning, which that name sounds so familiar. I, is that the Red Cross lady? That's not the Red Cross lady, is it? No, that's Florence. I think Nightingale. that's a. I think she's a poet, maybe. Oh yeah, she's a she's a poet. Yeah, she's a Victorian poet. Uh, so I. I don't. I guess I thought it was a little weird that Sarah told her or him to go after her, um, but I. I don't think I thought it was that weird. I guess because I, it, it, I don't know. It, it just Hurst. See, like he he just seems like he's a very controlling guy, and maybe he had like Mank had kind of a closer relationship with Marion or something. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I didn't really even catch that, like, when it happened. You know what I mean? Um, but I definitely liked the relationship between – I like the relationship between Mank and the women in this movie, essentially. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Um, I love Lily Collins. So I'm, like, a huge Lily Collins fan. And I do have – okay, so, I'm like, I just want to say this because this, like, drove me nuts. But when she finds out that her husband was presumed dead – there was almost nothing about that except for later when you find out that he's still alive. Like she like finds out that he's maybe dead and then like, that's it. And I was like, there's no like showing her like mourning or like getting worried or like fucking sad over it. Like it was just, it was, I thought that that was something that shouldn't have been added into the story because to me it was like so pointless. You know what I mean? There was no real, benefit for it to be in there um especially since she had like almost no reaction over it like it was just very strange and and mink was kind of being a dick about it like and he he wasn't being a dick after he found out what happened but he was kind of like joking about it before you know and then she was like okay so like maybe don't talk to me like that but he was passed out or whatever um and i i really wish that they hadn't included that i thought it was a very strange addition to like that it was not necessary you know i actually like had a totally different take than you did um (laughs) so i really enjoyed (laughs) i really related to and enjoyed when he made that joke about the husband's ship like getting sunk or something and then it ended up being real and she ran out of the room and he said to himself, like, always the smartest guy in the room. Like, why do I always have to open my big mouth? You know, like, right. and then it happened to be true. And I sort of relate to that. Like, I feel like I'm somebody who uh, more than on more than one occasion, I've like speak before I think. And I feel like I have a big mouth sometimes and strong opinions. And sometimes I like a lot of times I'll like chastise myself after the fact. And I'll be like, why can't you just like play it cool? You know? And I really liked that scene because it was very realistic to me how he like made light of it because he didn't know what was in the telegram or whatever. And then it ended up being real. And he was like, why am I so insensitive? Of course, it could have been real. Her husband's in war. You know, there's a lot of subtext in that moment. And then she comes in the room and you do see the emotion from her. And she says, like, I prefer to believe that he's still alive. So she's holding on to hope. And I think that is enough to carry me because she doesn't give in to hysterics because that would mean her husband is dead and she wants to like keep a strong backbone because if she gives in that's like saying he's dead but she wants him to be alive so that's enough of an explanation for me as to like why she didn't show emotion in like the subsequent scenes but I also like that 
she had that little monologue and then she realizes that they thought he was dead because he had started drinking again so he's disappointed in himself so he goes back to his old vice because he's disappointed in his big mouth and he's hurt someone's feelings he goes back to his vice well no and then i like that and then that that wasn't alcohol though in those things that was like medicine that he was drinking that's why they freaked out when he drank like a whole bottle yeah i'm just saying like he goes back to a substance okay yeah yeah i got you so anyway and then later in the movie all this like sort of negative stuff is starting to happen with his script because people know it's about hearst and people are like you're gonna offend hearst you're gonna offend marion it's a really good script but all this stuff you know right and then she finds out that her husband is alive and they have this like really beautiful embrace and you see like he cares about her and they have this like good friendship and her like things are working out for both of them even though it doesn't look like it's working out for him because he's written this script that will offend a very powerful man and perhaps one of his friends and Marion I mean and and you know like and I like that moment so I I actually like of all the things in the movie that I was eh about I actually liked those moments between him and Lily Collins and I liked that little storyline I don't know so it's interesting that we had such different takes I mean it's so different from how we usually feel exactly the same about every single movie (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I uh I don't know I I I like it, it I guess it I can see where you're coming from, but for me, I was like, that's it? There's no more about that? What? Okay. Like, it just, it seemed very dismissive, I guess, of the whole situation. But I I want to, I have another question to ask you, and I don't know if I, like, completely missed this, but was there any big reason he was going after Hearst, specifically? I wondered if it was just because of the uh, like Upton Sinclair and the Republican candidate and how like Hearst and Louis B. Mayer were like so obviously like in league with each other and just like this old guard, old money, like the rich keep getting richer, the poor keep getting poorer and how Hearst treated like like the world it was yeah i i just i kind of assumed it was like mank just didn't like what they represented like this old style of thinking and and how like louis v mayor was such a jackass like he would like just cry and every time he cried i'd be like oh my gosh who is falling for this now at this point you know and like people would just like stand behind him like he had this meeting for all of his employees all on the movie set and he was gonna mention that because that like that meeting like made me angry it pissed me off so much because he's like we're all he's like you all are gonna take a pay uh, a pay cut and they're like well what about you and he's like you all are gonna take a pay cut and I was like okay purposefully avoiding the question I was like because this jackass isn't gonna take a pay cut he just wants all y'all to take a pay cut when y'all can't afford it but he definitely probably could so like and and then it was like oh it'll only be eight weeks and you'll pay and you'll get paid back and then later you see someone and he's like Lou like Mr. Mayor said it was going to be eight weeks and that we were going to get our money back and that has not happened and I was like time to find a different job because 
Mayor Goldwyn, whatever, sucks. <laughs> you know, like I was just like, I was like, it just made me so angry because I was like, these people, like it is on the cusp of the depression or is the depression or whatever, you know? So these people are struggling so hard to make ends meet because people that are not super rich are, are struggling through this depression, whereas the super rich is basically untouched by the depression. Um, and they're all taking these pay cuts and they're going to have to scrounge and like, like, and it hurts them. It hurts to do that. And then this jackass is like sitting on its fucking throne. Like, I'm like, I'm just going to be really, like sucking fucking Hearst dick like no cares in the world he's got a million dollars in the bank fuck this fucking guy I hated him so much <laughs> like, I just... sorry that was a little uh graphic there but I like that whole scene like it made me so angry because it's like it just it just reminds me of like my own like my own jobs that I've been through before you know, where they're like, we're going to promise you one thing, but we're never actually going to deliver it. And I'm like, so then you're the worst, you know, like, don't, don't, don't promise your employees something that you can't deliver. You know, that's it. Simple as that. And it, it, like, I, I want well, to think this that little jackass in the face. He just, he was so good at being snivelly because he would turn on the waterworks at just the right moments to like yeah. make people just basically bend to his will and i liked that i mean it, it, i don't like it but i liked it because it's well done as a character, as a character. well as an antagonist it's good yeah and i think this movie had a lot of like same shit different day aspects like the more things change the more they stay the same like like the political thing between the two candidates one was like a democrat that they all called a socialist and one was a republican and they had this like news reels that were like I want to keep my way of life the same. So I'm voting for this Republican guy, you know, things like that. And like, like, yeah, I think it's commonality in, in life, just people promise and don't deliver a lot of the time. Like it's right. not just rich people, it's every person, you know? Right. And so I think that there's a lot of that in the movie to varying degrees. Like, um, I would like to know the actual story because I, <laughs> Something that kind of also bothered me was I felt like it was like mirroring the election of last year in a way that kind of annoyed me because it was like so on the nose calling the the Democratic uh, candidate a, a socialist and how the Republican candidate was going to keep life the same. And I was thinking like, I wonder, because that's interesting to me if that's how people were talking back then during that election or if that was slightly dramatic because of the election that we were going through last year so i was curious how those two actually mirrored each other and i didn't have time to look up anything about that but i thought that that was fascinating because even if it was heavy-handed in the movie and it seemed it felt kind of obvious to me i don't doubt that it could have gone that way in the past just because like i said the more things change the more things stay the same you know right Right. Um, and so I feel like he just went after Hearst because, and I, and I liked that, uh, twist at the end too, how he was like so angry at the things that Hearst like stood for, but Hearst was paying half of his salaries. So yeah. he was like, he was suckling at the same teat that Louis B. Mayer was, you know, yeah. uh, you no, know, that's a much of better way of saying that. And I regret what I previously said, <laughs> but I think you should keep it in because 
I make a powerful statement. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. I, you know, and so I liked how he had to sort of like come to terms with his own uh, hypocrisy almost like oh, you can't time. rail against. It's really hard to rail against something. If you are also like, it takes your credibility away a little bit when you're like, this is all evil, but I'm taking a paycheck from it, you know? Yeah. So I think that that was an interesting message. And I, and also like, it made me kind of sad when he offended everybody at that dinner party. And then he found out that Hearst just liked, like Hearst liked having him around. He liked him because he liked the way he talked, not, not his writing talent, but he liked his point of view. He liked the things he said. And it made me kind of sad because I was like, you know, like people respect you and you don't even realize it, which is kind of also mirroring Citizen Kane a little bit. Like a lot of people respected him, but he didn't almost like believe it. He was looking for this specific kind of respect, but respect was actually all around him. Right. And in Citizen Kane, he was looking for love, but it's the same idea. Like, and I, and I thought that that was interesting. And I, also enjoyed the relationship between him and his brother as well. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, um, it definitely they definitely felt like brothers too. There weren't yeah. any like, "Hey, brother, how are you doing today?" <laughs> we have the same mother. Did I tell you? <laughs> Did you know? That? <laughs> yeah, hey, we've bro. Talked, we've talked about sibling dialogue in movies before. They're like, "Hey, sister." I like that brother. <laughs> I like that his leg got broken because his brother was trying to get him to read a love letter that somebody wrote and it blew away in the wind and his brother careened off the road. I thought like what the heck is I happening? I know. I was like <laughs> it was good. Like, Mink is like, can you can you pay attention to what you're can you not like show me this letter? Like just watch where you're driving, watch where you're driving. Then he's like, Rrr! and then you know, the whole yeah. Um I know, and it's it's like it reminded me so much of like when you're talking to like your girlfriends and they're like, so he texted me back. What does this mean? What does this smiley face mean? <laughs> you know, like, and it's just, it's like, it's like what you said, you know, like things, like the more things change, the more they stay the same, where it is kind of the same idea where I could definitely see myself in a situation where, you know, my friend is like, I just really like this guy. I really like this girl. What does this mean that they said in this letter, you know, like or this text message or whatever? Um, and so that that kind of just cracked me up because I was like, it's just it's it's so like t it's so reflective of what like I've just experienced in my regular life that I'm like, I love it. You know what I mean? It's it's like, no, oh, they're not that different from us. It's just a different time, you know? Um, yeah, people are people no matter what time they happen to be living in. Yeah. Yeah. So I had wrote a lot of um, I wrote quite a few things about Citizen Kane and I don't like when so Emily was Kane's first wife and I don't know if you noticed this but like there's there's a, a scene where they're like at the like breakfast table and she's reading the chronicle so it's not his his uh you know paper and the table looked like a coffin like the coffin like you'd see like if you were sitting in the aisles at a funeral and you're seeing the coffin from like that angle. It's not like from the top where it looks like a coffin, you know what I mean? So it's just like, it, and it looked like that. And I was like, interesting that they would kind of do that, which I'm assuming was done purposefully because it's, you know, like a symbolic of their relationship falling apart or their relationship dying. Um, but um, I, 
that's that's kind of all I wrote about that. All I wrote about <laughs> like I didn't I didn't notice that it looked like a coffin, but I did notice that there was a like a a ton of flowers on it and yeah. I thought that that yeah. was weird. So I know what you're talking about now after the fact and that's an interesting um observation that I didn't put together. Yeah, and I I mean I think it's cuz like pretty much right after that scene, it's like it's falling apart and then he meets Susan or like I don't know they're like I, I don't know if Emily and him got divorced I don't think they were divorced at that point but he meets Susan after getting all that mud on him and um which like they just had this kind of like cute little like in it that kind of reminded me of the scene in Vanilla Sky with Tom Cruise and Penelope yes like, you like you kind of yes. like that too oh for uh, sure and I I wouldn't be surprised if Cameron Crowe was like yeah this was my homage to, to Orson Welles or something because it was right, right. very very similar yeah um and then when she was singing though like I was like oh no this is bad <laughs> like this is really bad like her voice is like like it's not terrible it's not the worst i've ever heard she should be an opera singer absolutely not <laughs> she should not that is not a career path she should have gone down um i felt kind of an attachment to susan just like overall like again as i said before there was certain parts where i thought she was kind of annoying but um I really like I guess I kind of like identified with her like in her struggle with this guy who's just kind of this tyrant you know like very he knows what he wants and he's not willing to like compromise or change or anything and she's just like stuck in this place where she's like just get me out of here I just want to leave I want to get out of here and um but what I was I was going to say it was um James Gettys he kind of he kind of reminded me of like I know he was supposed to be the running the running um opposite run person again in the election against Kane right but then when he's like like first of all I was surprised that he didn't have like um like a henchman do this for him but he went to Susan's apartment and he's like so I'm gonna tell everyone that you were cheating on your wife Kane okay unless you like he was so like he was so like mean girls about it like unless you and like move out of the election I'm gonna show everyone that you were cheating because you're just a cheater little cheating cheat <laughs> like and I was just like okay James Gettys you don't have people to do this for you for one thing and for two like how old are we know what I mean but it worked he won you know I was gonna say like I mean that that sort of mudslinging still happens today like they're always dragging in like moral character in elections and other things so I I mean that seemed totally in line with things that would happen today I mean if if a candidate was discovered to be having an affair the other side would definitely spread it all over oh yeah no no i'm i'm saying i agree i i think so too i just think that it's weird that it was him that did that instead of someone else you know what i mean oh instead of someone being like i work for gettys and then they're like oh shit you know it's instead it was like the gettys you know? i see what you mean um, yeah 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 and <laughs> like that that's just a little like i don't know <laughs> but um there was also a scene in Mank where they're talking about a movie and they're like, and the monster gets entombed in ice in the end. And I was like, this is Frankenstein. 
this is like they're like they're like telling this whole story and then like this is literally the plot of frankenstein like if you get screwed by mary shelley's relative or like ancestors you will have deserved it because this is frankenstein like i was like 100 percent. like i was sitting there literally like yelling it at the screen i was like excuse me what <laughs> Oh, I man. didn't know that that was the I thought it was like an amalgamation of movies and they were just trying to like put together some crap to get you know like for the guy to I mean, like I give him the it, go ahead it was gets like, entombed in ice like, yeah that's what they say at the end well no 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 I don't think it's I don't think it's exactly like Frankenstein but it was enough like Frankenstein where I was like there's a way that this is not inspired by Frankenstein. Oh, you know well I, I mean? thought yeah, well yeah, I thought that they were just like using a formula that just kept making money for them. I thought that was part of the the gist of the scene like it's not unique, it's I a think formula. So too. I think so too, but the the what they were describing was so much like it that it was like hard to ignore. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I wonder if that, that was the point, though. Like, that's that seems like yeah, the that point. That could have been the point. I just wish that they'd been like, it's called Frankenstein. I would have been like, okay. Well, okay. because, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're the writers of this movie company. And so when you think of, like, the writers of a movie company, you think, like, here's this group of original, very talented, creative people. But what they're doing is they're just taking other people's ideas. You know, like, I thought right. that was, like, right the gist of the scene you know yeah no i agree with you i'm just saying that it was it just sounded a lot like frankenstein is what i'm saying oh, okay sure yeah i it reminded did you ever see the cabinet of dr calgary no it's like a german movie it's uh i feel like it's what edward scissorhands was probably like the look of edward scissorhands is probably based on the like the guy in the movie like he's like a, a sleepwalker anyway it kind of reminded me of that as well but he's not like a monster necessarily he is but he isn't that he's a somnambulist, <laughs> and, somnambulist. i love that word it's one and of my favorite uh, words. so i thought that they were just like playing on a on a very tired theme that just you know sold tickets some tickets but not enough tickets you know they needed an original idea and and so yeah, yeah, there's only so many times you can show vampire movies or Frankenstein movies where everyone's like, oh my god, can we get a different monster, <laughs> please, you know? Like, let's re remake Godzilla for the 14th time. Okay. <laughs> we'll call it Pacific Rim. <laughs> call it what? We'll call it Pacific Rim. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Was Godzilla... That's not, that is not like a, like a, I'm not saying anything bad against Pacific Crim. I liked that movie. I'm just saying it, it is a lot like Godzilla. You know, there's no doubt about it. Was Godzilla an allegory for the, the nuclear, nuclear bombs that we dropped on Japan? Is that what it was? Or am I imagining that I, I heard know. that somewhere? That sounds right, but I don't know. Okay. I don't anyway. Know for sure. Um, yeah, so I kind of like there I really like I think that I'm like I all my notes I talked about except for and I just kind of I noticed that he did this twice that he said Mank mentions Mary Pickford a virgin at age 40 twice in the movie and I was like okay 
Like that, I thought that was like yeah. No, I put Mary like Mary Pickford like very like like you know like lascivious. Well, I I think that that's. Am I pronouncing that word right? I think so. I think that's the crux of old Hollywood. Like they had these like wild lives, but they tried to portray themselves as like America's sweethearts and stuff. And I and I thought that line was pretty funny. Like. Yeah, people believe that Mary. If the people who believe these newsreels that are about this candidate are the same people who pro, who believe that Mary Pickford is a virgin, even though she's forty years old, and like, like Judy Garland, I think it was Louis B. Mayer, I think forced Judy Garland to have an abortion because he thought it would ruin her like sweetheart image, you know. And I, I believe she was even married, like she was pregnant from like her husband, not like it wasn't like an affair. It was like. And he still made her have an abortion. And so things like that happened all the time where they'd be like, did you ever see Hail Caesar? Mm -mm. I really, I really enjoyed Hail Caesar. Um, And that's a movie about movie making in old Hollywood. And it's, it's fascinating. And it's a movie about like juxtapositions and stuff. And, but there's Scarlett Johansson's character is uh, pregnant in the movie and pregnant from obviously she's not wed. And so they have to like have her get married to somebody like overnight so that this storyline when it hits the news won't seem like scandalous, you know, and and so I, you know, stuff like that happened back then where it was like America's sweetheart never had sex. Mary Pickford, you know. And right, so I that, right. that was interesting how it's like everyone knows that they're lying. It's, you know, it's a dog and pony show. We all know that we're lying to each other, but we're okay with lying to each other. And right, right. No, that makes sense. And I actually looked up Mary Pickford and she um it does look very like sweet, you know? Um kind of like a hippie-ish look to her. I actually dig it. I dig it a lot. I'm like, I think it's cute. But, um, but yeah, um, no, I, I think that that's true. That's, that's spot on where people are just like, listen, I know that that's not accurate, but like, you know, Gary Oldman, who's 60 years old, (laughs) a 43 year old man, like, it's like, okay, we know that Gary Oldman is not in his forties, but we're just all like, it was like Alan Rickman playing Snape in Harry Potter because Snape is supposed to be in his 30s and Alan Rickman was like in his 50s when he did that sh- that movie. So well, it's like it's like saying like Cary Grant had a male roommate. Yeah, him and his male roommate yeah, lived sure together. Roommate. I'm, I'm sure that yeah. him and his roommate were just that. They could they were he was a successful yeah. Hollywood star but he still needed a roommate. I'm sure that's that's true. You know, or like Yeah. Right. Right. We all yeah. know, no, like, I'm, not I'm, we. I mean, nowadays, modern times, that's probably more rare. But, like, back 40 years ago, like, I'm sure people were like, yeah, I don't think that those two are just friends and roommates. But, you know. <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think I was talking once with my friend about Cary Grant. And I was like, Cary Grant was gay. And she's like, well, he did live with a guy for a little bit. But that does not mean that he was gay. And I was like, well, I think that that probably does mean that he was gay because it's like, come on, he had a male roommate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't you know? Like, don't pull the wool over my eyes. I know, I know things. I know things. Okay, thank you very much. There was something in Mank that amused me. Um, in the beginning of the movie, when his wife was like, 
like helping him come home when he was drunk and he was rambling about some movie and he was like yeah this movie and and the dog the dog sounds what a stupid name for a dog and and he's laying on the bed and he goes mark my words wizard of oz will never come to anything and i thought that was interesting (laughs) an interesting reveal um i don't know if he actually said that about wizard of oz i don't know but i liked that I didn't know what he was talking about at first and that's what amused me because he just mentioned like a dog's name being crazy and then when I learned that it was Wizard of Oz I was like oh Toto that is kind of a weird name for a dog so I liked that reveal it was a a good trick for the audience to hear you know yeah and he talked about he talked about Wizard of Oz a lot in the in the and he was one of the writers or I don't know if he was the main writer but he was one of the writers because I I read his Wikipedia page briefly very very briefly really interesting yeah Yeah, let me just um, I want to make sure that I'm saying it right I I know he was part of says among screenplays he wrote or worked on besides Citizen Kane are the Wizard of Oz etc so on and so forth so nice yeah yeah i didn't even realize that he wrote that um but that is cool that's yeah i i thought that it was interesting that he kept mentioning it he's like it's not going to do it it's not going to go anywhere it's not going to do well you know blah, blah blah and it's like hands down probably one of the most famous films ever like i would i would even i would even dare to say that it's more famous than citizen kane you know i think so i think it's more widely beloved and recognized and Toto is the cutest dog. <laughs> hmm? That sounded like that was a, a very hellish place, like a very hellish uh, movie to work on, though, because I think that a lot of people were really mistreated. Well, and, and I mean, you should watch the movie Judy is pretty good. Um, Judy Garland had a pretty rough life. Um, yeah. Oh, big time. And yeah, yeah her, her, being a star was probably not the best thing that could have happened to her and very mistreated. Like obviously the, um, the actors who played the munchkins were mistreated and um, what's her name? The one who played the wicked witch, she almost died from being burned. Um, So yeah. And then there's the tin man. The first guy that they had hired had like a really bad, like reaction to like the makeup. And so they, like hired someone new and I don't know if they changed the makeup or something but it it sounded like there was there was a lot of trauma that happened in that movie and I love that movie so that makes me very sad that all those people were hurt because of it you know because it's a great film so it's uh anyway so I have one I have something to ask you um and Orson Welles seemed like kind of a big jerk and I kind of believe he probably was kind of a jerk just because he seemed like such a creative mind and I think creative minds can tend to maybe be that way and you either have to like you know like I think people who work well with creative minds are people who let them stretch their wings and not people who try to like also stretch their wings with them does that make sense like and yeah, i think yeah, mank was yeah. a very like powerful creative mind and so was orson wells so they butted heads and that totally made sense to me and like when mank was like i want partial credit and i didn't fully understand that like he had signed his rights away earlier to not get credit for writing the movie and i'm not exactly sure how that worked if it was like 
Because, like, the yeah, only I'm thing I sure thought either. of when I was watching the movie, I was reminded of the movie Inside Llewellyn Davis, Lewin Davis, Inside Lewin Davis, how he needed money really fast. So he wrote away. This is a fictionalized movie, but it was about, like, the real music scene in the 60s in New York. But, like, he wrote away his rights because he needed money immediately. So he was like, yeah, it's okay. I don't need royalties. Just give me the money up front. And then the song becomes like a hit. He doesn't get royalties oh. for it, you know? So I was wondering if that's, that's how I related to the movie make. I don't know if that's what happened, but in my head, I was like, so did he need payment up front? So he just said, yeah, it's okay. I don't need credit for this or something. I don't know. But, and then he demanded like later, he told Orson Welles that he wanted partial credit or credit and Orson Welles got so mad at him. And I was like, does, does that mean that he was a very difficult person to work with? Or, you know, what was that all about? I, I, yeah, wasn't I, don't, sure. I don't know. Um, I, it did seem like, I mean, throwing, like, I thought that it was very, like, over the top. Not like, not like in the movie, but I mean, like, as a person, like, you're throwing shit everywhere and breaking shit. Like, calm down. How old are you? You know what I mean? Um. But I, I do have to say that I thought that the person that they hired to play Orson Welles was perfect for that role. Like, he looked like him, and he sounded so much like him that, like, and I, I texted you that, and you hear Orson Welles' real voice at the end that I almost, like, thought that it was the actor that they, they had hired. Like, I, I legitimately was, like, then I was, like, oh, real, or, like, I was looking at, like, the the title like the subtitles and it was like real real Orson Welles and I was like oh shit no kidding so um and I liked that he wasn't anyone that I knew like I'd never seen this guy in anything before and I was like really like I was really worried that they were gonna be like oh yeah and Leonardo DiCaprio plays Orson Welles and I'm like of course he fucking does like you know like choose someone who looks like Orson Welles and acts like Orson Welles and like can actually like portray Orson Welles in a correct manner and I think that they did an awesome job with that and I mean because he wasn't in the movie very often he was only in like maybe love like maybe 15 minutes you know yeah um, I liked that but, he was used very sparingly and every time he was used was sort of like an exclamation point I really liked that they all referred to him as like the boy wonder or the child king or something weird like that like yeah and you told me that he was 24 when citizen came came out so I was like yeah he would be a hot shot upstart who like did more at 24 than I've done at 36 you know <laughs> like <laughs> I mean yeah no he well because what happened is he had the war of the world and it was so hugely popular that Hollywood was like yo we'll give you two deal two movies that you can make about any topic and so that's why I think that it was such a big deal is because I don't think anyone was given free reign like that like the way yeah. that he was and I mean you know it was a very controversial topic that they decided to discuss talking about Hearst who's one of the most powerful men in in California uh, but at the same time I think that there are people like that who are very powerful that need to be taken down a notch by films like this and it's like it's an interesting way to do that and, and I guess that I, I never really realized that Mank and, and Hearst were friends you know so to me it was interesting that Mank decided to attack Hearst you know and he was like and he was very 
insistent on it and he did not want to back down from it and he was like I'm going to do this regardless of the consequences and I appreciate that kind of I, I, I appreciate that because I think that it's it's like it's like when like in Hollywood like after someone dies everyone's like oh they were such a great person and I'm like but were they like it's like after Joan Rivers died everyone was like oh she was so great and I was like her name was literally the queen of mean she was a bitch like it's like you like you can't disregard everything that they've done in life just because they died you know what I mean and I think it's the same way where it's like just because someone is rich does not mean you can disregard everything they've done in life and you can't you can't ignore like you can't ignore like what the their actions you know what I mean and just make it go away just because they're rich or just because they're dead or whatever you know it doesn't work like that and it's and I think it's very easy to dismiss something like that because it maybe doesn't affect you and I to day-to-day life you know but uh but it's in the long run it's like something needs to be said about it someone needs to stand up for this you know someone needs to reach out and go hey this isn't right so that's yeah yeah i don't know was hearst like a bad guy i mean was he any worse than i i don't well let's see i have a so i have an article pulled up from pbs um let's see So he was, um, his newspapers were often filled, this is from PBS, it says, his newspapers were often filled with entertaining stories that were scandalous and occasionally pure fiction. Uh, there was one point where there was a crime story that was going to be featured, and uh, one of the, the address was like a vacant lot, and it was like, okay, well, you should still run the story, even though it's fake. And... Um, there was something else that that was it's Douglas Fairbanks Jr. remembers his father asking Hearst why he had preferred concentrating on newspapers with their limited regional appeal rather than spending more energy on motion pictures in their worldwide audience. Fairbanks recalls Hearst's reply, uh, quote, I thought of it, but I decided against it because you can crush a man with journalism, but you can't with motion pictures. So I think that what it was, was the idea was like, so we can't crush a man with motion pictures. Just watch me, <laughs> you know? And uh, like, ugh, sweet, sweet revenge. <laughs> I don't know if it was really revenge, but I mean, if that's the kind of person that he was where he, it didn't matter to him who he hurt as long as the story was sensational or, or strong enough, that's pretty messed up. Like that's, that is like the same idea with, I mean, things that happen nowadays where people, um, like someone's wife goes missing and everyone thinks it's the husband. And then it turns out that they've been innocent the entire time, but their reputation is just utterly destroyed because of, of the media, you know? Um, and, and I think it's, it, it, to me, like you can't go about your life destroying others people's lives because it's fun and it's sensational and it makes you money and it's like these are real living people out there who are innocent and going after them is just very bad form it's very bad form and it's it's incredible you know like it's just in like not in a good way like in a really terrible way 
I think that so kind of makes sense. I think, it sounded like. I think that kind of makes sense why Mank would go after him. Like how yeah. powerful Hearst was. He he was able to fund newsreels that swayed people to vote a certain way. And so he had a lot of power. And I think that that makes sense why Mank would go after him because here's one of the most powerful men in the world who can use his money and his uh, fame to control the world, control the media, control, you know, so that, that sort of makes sense then why he would tell the story about a, a, a magnet who controlled things through media to sort of like open people's eyes maybe. So that kind of makes sense. But it was interesting at the end when you learn that he's like biting the hand that feeds him a little bit, but he still did it anyway because that was like a flashback. So he did it anyway, even though he was getting money from Hearst. So yeah, I thought that that is interesting. Um, yeah, it's... um. It's definitely, it, it, it definitely, like, makes you kind of go, like, whoa. You know, it didn't sound like Mank even knew that he was being paid by first. Yeah, it seemed like he was surprised because he sort yeah. of, like, backpedaled, tail between his legs. He was like, I was saying those things out of sorrow, not anger. And then he was... I liked the way Hurst led him out the door and I thought like, yeah, that's awesome. Cause he like walked him through the hall and told him that story about the, the monkey grinder or the organ grinder, the monkeys, yeah. the organ grinders monkey and how like he's just exhibiting his, like Hurst is just exhibiting his power again. Like, you know, the monkey dances because of the organ grinder, but the monkey thinks that the organ grinder, that he's like in charge of the organ grinder. And the truth is like, we you know, we all need each other to, like, make this hierarchy work almost, you know, like, you're a pawn in my story just as much as I'm a pawn in any of your stories, you know, and, and I thought that that right. was interesting as well, like, a very, and, and then he just sort of, like, led him out the door, and I really, I thought that was, like, the very definition of, like, you know, you can do whatever you want to me, but at the end of the day, like, I control certain things, and I control you in a certain way. And then he just closed the door on him and said, you know, like he talked down to him, like, you've had a lot to drink. I'm going to have my driver take you home. And I just was like, whoa, I like that. I mean, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was a, an interesting way to show somebody like it's easy to yell at somebody, but it's not easy to calmly put up a mirror and show somebody their actions as you lead them out of your house. Like, I think, I don't know. I, I liked that regardless of I did too. how I'm supposed to feel about Hearst. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about him. Uh, but I liked that. I thought like, I don't know. I thought he handled that situation in a way that I wish I could handle situations where people wrong me, you know? Right. To me, to me, what it seemed like he was saying was like, you're nothing without me. Like you're the monkey and I'm the organ grinder. And in this case, if I don't come out, then you're not going to get any money. You're not, no one's going to notice you. And, um, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking a little bit more on this PBS, um, article about, about, uh, Hearst and Wells and everything. And so, um, after like after they made the movie and everything, Hearst had threatened to expose long buried 
Hollywood scandals that his newspapers had suppressed at the request of the studios. He used his used Wells' private life against him, um, making references to communism and questioning Wells' willingness to fight for his country. Uh, major movie or theater chains refused to carry Citizen Kane. And Hearst's campaign to discredit Wells was ruthless, skillful, and much aided by Wells himself, who never bothered to hide his contempt for Hollywood. Um, so, and actually when his name and his film were mentioned at the 1942 Academy Awards, they were booed. But they were nominated for nine awards and they lost, and they, I mean, they did win an award. And, uh, you know, an Oscar. So, um, but yeah. He like, I mean, I don't, I don't blame Hearst for what he did. I think that I, if I was in his shoes, I'd probably do the same thing. You know, I'd probably be like, all right, like I see this movie that you made that's super insulting to me and who I am as a person. So I'm just going to destroy you. Just like, you know, <laughs> have fun. Um, but I, I would say overall, I wouldn't say that I liked Hearst very much. Um, again, I thought he was controlling um, I thought he was just kind of, kind of, I don't know, but I did, I wanted to mention to you, um, that one of the very few things that I remember from this movie from Citizen Kane, when I first saw it was the giant fireplace. <laughs> oh yeah. She was doing like a whole puzzle on the floor, right in front yeah. of the fireplace in like the cutout of the fireplace. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was like. I, I remembered very few things from that movie, but I remembered the fireplace because I remember being like, oh my God, you could just like walk in there and just be like, I'm just going to casually set myself on fire, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and I, I, it was, it, I, it was just so like, it was a very cool setting, I think, for Citizen Kane. I, I like how they did that. I really liked the the setting that they had in Mank as well for Hearst Castle, it was so beautiful too. Um, but it, it, it's a, uh, I mean, I guess that's it. Yeah, that's kind of it. That I just remembered the fireplace. Like the fireplace really made an impression on me. I like years later, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> I like that scene because they're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation across a giant room, and she kept saying things, and he would say what. And she would say things and he'd be like, what? And I thought that that was indicative of like the intimacy of their relationship being gone. You know, like here we are in this oh, yeah. giant empty room and we can't even sit next to each other and have a conversation. And he doesn't hear what I'm saying half the time and he won't bother to move closer. And I, I liked the, the subtext of that scene as well. And like a big, lonely, air, air drafty yeah. you know, mansion enormous yeah this just this enormous room like it's um it, it seemed very it seemed very isolating there at, at Xanadu you know very like seemed like poor Susan was closed off from a lot of people and um while it's gorgeous like it's a beautiful place but like so lonely you know it's just like this empty I don't know haunted by the past like so yeah anyway uh so would you recommend either of these films i don't know i i guess i would say 
if you did want to watch the movies, I would definitely recommend watching both if you haven't seen Citizen Kane or if Citizen Kane is like rusty if you saw it a long time ago. I don't think Mank is as good on its own as it is watching them together. Um, I, do, I have to agree with that. I don't know if I... There were things about Citizen Kane that I recognize as maybe other movies uh, that we've talked about and some that I didn't mention. Like there were some scenes like the scene where he did like a loud slow clap for his wife for her opera performance. Like I think I've seen that scene before. I've seen variations of that. Okay, yeah. It's a meme, yeah. (laughs) I was wondering if you would notice that. So there's, yeah. So I probably have seen the meme and that's where I'm thinking of it. Yeah, thank you because I wasn't able to place it but so i can see it's it's effect on history and its effect on movies and it is a one of the formative like movies of hollywood and and it's modern in a lot of its aspects in an interesting way so i i wouldn't say like run out and see it but i think if you have a curiosity it's worth checking out and as far as mank is concerned I am not as big of a Fincher fan as I like watching David Fincher's movies once every couple of years does not really illustrate uh, his style as much as something eye opening for me is watching like three of them in succession. Um, I think that uh, I don't know if I could say he's one of my favorite directors or even a director that I like. Like, I think I respect his contributions in a way because his movies have like a class to them like a classiness to them that is is interesting um and they're not all horrible but my statements from earlier is that i think his movies are bloated and long-winded i think that that's i feel very strongly that way and i know that lauren feels differently but i didn't even like i didn't even know i felt that way until i saw multiple ones in like very close together um so i don't know honestly i don't know i think if you want to watch citizen kane then you should watch mank if you're not interested in citizen kane forget them both um i don't know if i could recommend them totally but i that's as good as i can say i think how about you um i i agree with a lot of what you say um i did i am a big david fincher fan and i did really like mank um well no I wouldn't say I, I liked Mank. I would not say I really liked Mank. I don't know if it's necessarily something I would really want to watch again. It would have to be years and years later, you know, but I definitely agree with you that I think it's, I, I would recommend, I would recommend them, but I agree with you that you, unless you have seen Citizen Kane before, you need to watch Citizen Kane before you watch Mank or it's not going to make a lot of sense. And it's kind of like, Kane fills in the plots that make, uh, or the plot holes that are not like the plot holes, but like Kane fills in the, the holes that make doesn't cover because what make is going, what I think, what I assume anyway, is that Fincher went into the film already assuming that his viewers had already seen Citizen Kane. Um, it's, it's kind of like watching the sequel of a film and not watching the first one. You know, yeah. you're going kind of like, mm-hmm. to get it, but you're also going to be like, wait, I don't like that kind of went over my head. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's important that you need to see both. Um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, I like them. I 
I oh, I was wondering, what did you think of Amanda Seyfried's performance? Because I know you're a little bit iffy about her. Yeah, I don't know. I think she was in the category for me of actors acting like they were acting, and I didn't. I think I honestly like Gary Oldman and Lily Collins were the I think the highlights of the movie for me. I think they were the best. Yeah, actors. I. And I don't know if I don't think it's Amanda Seyfried's fault. I, I think it's David Fincher's fault. Honestly, like, I don't think that this movie makes me feel like she's a bad actress any worse than like, like I I have been iffy about some of her stuff, but this movie doesn't affect my opinion of her more that it just affects my opinion of the vision that they were trying to show us. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um. I agree with you. I really like the scenes where. Um, Rita is bird watching and she's like Mankey I saw something 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 and he's like oh great like and I thought that that was kind of cute and then like at the end they kind of give each other like a little side hug so they definitely had like a you know like a, a friendship that they had built up over this time um, but um, I liked Amanda Seyfried I liked her portrayal of a Mary of Marion Davies I wouldn't say I've seen a Marion Davies film before but um I I just enjoyed her. I thought she was kind of like kind of cute and whimsical and I liked in the scene where he like comes in and he's all drunk and shit that she's like she, she's like clearly very uncomfortable, but I also like that she's like drinking from like a flask. Like she's like I got to I just I need to be drunk for this. And I'm like, "Girl, I get it." Like <laughs> you know? she has the right she has a perfect look for the oh, a movie from that era, for sure. Yeah, big time, big time. I I liked her in that. I thought that she I thought she did a good job, but I, I can also see where you're coming from that there's like, it's like, she's, it, it, I wouldn't say it's a challenging performance by any means. Um, and I, I get, I mean, I'm kind of on the same, I'm, I'm on the same like level where you are, where I'm just like, eh, Amanda Seyfried's fine, but, and I've liked certain like movies of hers sure but i would never say that she's like i wouldn't say she's a great actress i think she's she's fine for what she is i think she has strengths like in romantic comedies are great for her but she's she's like she's a little bit like a meg ryan she's kind of a meg ryan type yeah like she yeah she's good at romantic comedies she's just but there's nothing really special about her you know yeah i well yeah i think she I think she really shines in Mean Girls. Yeah. And I think that unfortunately um people who do movies like that on a regular basis start to get like Adam Sandler, like he's low hanging fruit. It's everybody makes one of Adam Sandler, but he's laughing all the way to the bank. You know, like he's very successful and it's not easy. It's more difficult to do comedy than it is to do drama. And I think that she has if Mean Girls is any indication of her talent, then I think she has tremendous talent. But I think a lot of professional actors shy away from things like that because it's looked down upon. In right, right. and um, and I, I think Channing Tatum. I feel the same way about Channing Tatum. I think he was in um, Twenty One Jump Street, and it was eye opening. I was like, oh my gosh, he's really good in a comedic role yeah, but he's very funny he yeah. keeps getting all these serious roles and and it's sad because i think like you know have you ever seen someone bomb on saturday night live like someone hosts saturday night live and just do a terrible job like comedy is really hard and i think we should celebrate that talent more than we do so yeah no there are definitely some people out there where 
like they like ha- like they have these moments that they're supposed to come like in with something and you're like this was supposed to be funny I think but it was so poorly done that yeah no I, I mean it, it, we, and we've talked about like Henry Cavill's kind of the same way I think he's great at like I think he's a good comedic actor I think he should shouldn't play like in comedies but you know <laughs> like it's but anyway so yeah so I think that's the verdict is that it's we're kind of like you know we're a little on the fence about it but hey you know if you if you like our stuff you like our stuff and you want us to review something for you and you want it to like go right to the freaking top of the pile then you know what you should do? You should go to iTunes, you should give us five stars, write the name of the title in your little thingy, and like write us a good note because we love those and they're really fun to get and like, you know, makes us happy. Um, you know, we're trying to get out there more and uh, iTunes is a great way for us to get more notice. And if you want to check us out, we're on a bunch of different places. You can Google us. We have a website. It's watchers of movies at we, or dot weebly.com. We have an email. That if you are not feeling like you want to go on iTunes, you can email us at watchersofmovies at gmail.com. Unfortunately, we will not likely put your stuff to the top because that is what iTunes is for. It's kind of like a thing like, you know, you you help us, we help you type thing. So, um, but you can always send us an email, send us a DM. We're on Instagram at Watchers of Movies. We're at Facebook at Watchers of Movies. We also have a little Instagram called The Watchers Who Find Things. And I have a TikTok that is Save the Phantom is my handle. And if you want to, like, I post some movie things there, too. So if you want to check me out, you know, um, go ahead. And thanks so much to Mike for our theme music. Yeah, you can find him on Twitter at the Mike Show 42 Thank you, Mike. His name is Mike Myers. Thanks, Mike. And yeah, and I think that's it, right? That's it. That's it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.